tonight on the Destiny Show podcast. We bring you a massive episode with two incredible guests. First up, we welcome the lead singer for one of our favorite bands, Murder by Death. Murder by Death is an indie rock band formed in 2000 in Bloomington, Indiana. The band's unique sound combines elements of alternative rock, country, and gothic rock with the lyrics often touching the themes of death, love, and supernatural. Murder by Death has received nine full-length albums and gained a devoted following for their dynamic live performances and emotionally charged music. In 2012, Murder by Death released the album Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon, which included the song Go to the Light, which later became the theme song for the trailer of Destiny 2 Forsaken, a major expansion featuring Aldrin Saab and our beloved Cade Six. On April 29th, 2022, the band announced their ninth studio album, Spellbound, which was later released in July of 2022. We're so honored and excited to welcome Adam on the show. Thank you so, so much for joining us tonight. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's video games. Video <laughs> <laughs> games. Video games. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? Shadow Price is here. Shadow Price. Yeah. How's uh? Yeah, we're uh, we're live tonight. We're live. We're live. Yeah. We're trying out a new format, so bear with us if we have any problems. And we are going to share the story of Murder by Death on the Destiny Show. We're going to talk about all things Destiny 2. We have a lot to talk about tonight on the show. We have a lot going on. So thank you, Guardians, for joining us on the Destiny Show. And Adam, we're going to invite you on the hot seat for our discussion with the Guardians. I hope you're ready. Try it. <laughs> so the first question we got for you is, when did you get started in music and how did your journey with Murder by Death begin? I uh, got started playing music because my friend Ryan, who incidentally our friendship began over a video game, uh, we were in second grade uh, and he was in a class with me and he said, hey, have you ever played this game Power Blade for Nintendo? You should come over and play it. And I was like, sounds amazing. The guy's got a boomerang. And uh, so I went over and we became very good friends. And um, now um, we're still really good friends since second grade. And now he's done a bunch of illustrations and uh, for, for, with the band, but has a massive uh, comic book career. Um, he's the co-creator of uh, 8 Billion Genies, which is like a smash hit this year in the comic industry. Um, and they're adapting it uh, on Amazon. But anyway, it all began with a video game. And then I was at his house and his mom uh, had bought a acoustic guitar for $20 at a garage sale. She's like, I thought you might want this. Do you want to you want to buy this for me for 20 bucks? I kind of bought it with you in mind. I was like, <laughs> OK, cool. And then I just spent the rest of my teenage years trying to figure the thing out and playing shows and taking lessons from this like jazz blues guy and where I grew up in Detroit and uh, eventually just playing shows 
then um, my freshman year of college met most of my bandmates at Indiana University and just started rehearsing in a like dorm public space and trying to play shows. And eventually we started booking house shows, booked a ton of little DIY local shows. And um, eventually we started, you know, getting out of our, our town of Bloomington, Indiana and just that was 23 years ago since we played our first show. Uh, and it's just been my whole life since then, honestly. That's, that's really cool. And it's so awesome that you've been, you know, in the music industry for such a long time through so many evolutions of changes that we've gone through, whether it be through compact discs evolving to, I remember we had mini discs and now we're all in, with digital distribution. And it's interesting because I remember you, it started with murder by death back in 20 in 2000, when a lot of things in the industry took place where there were so many changes in terms of um, how we consumed music. And then also piracy was a pretty, pretty big thing at that time. Um, So um, I'm curious, um, how did those things affect you as an artist back in the day going through all of the different changes with Napster becoming more prominent and um, things like that? Yeah, I mean, the I think if there's anything I've learned from being a musician is that you have to be super flexible and resilient and you just have to be willing to reinvent yourself, not just as a creative person, but like as a business person because the business is always changing and you've got to like figure out um how you can adjust and just make sure that you still get to be an artist and not have to you know quit basically (laughs) that's like that's what this really comes down to is that most people i know that are musicians um have struggled to try to balance um their uh work life with their creative life and, you know, some people and makes enough money and they can continue on and they can make their career out of it. But other people just get um, like burned out or they don't feel like they have the skills or don't want to put the time in or don't have the, you know, they're risk averse. So they don't want to like put out their own vinyl and have to buy that big, expensive first pressing. And like there's all these barriers that we have. And then the other barrier is, of course, technology which ostensibly should uh, help us share our music ultimately. But there's always some, you know, fat cat at the top, you know, taking all the cream off uh, Spotify. Uh, But, uh, you know, there's always somebody that is like basically milking the industry and taking all the little pieces away from the artists. And so you're, you have to just get over that and, just deal with it and find a way to engage with the people that do care about you and try to have fun with it and try to, um, you know, help, you know, help get your bandmates uh, set up so that you can continue to do your thing. But it's crazy. I mean, yeah, Napster was the first taste of that I had. I mean, when we started the band, you make a CD um, in the indie world, vinyl records were pretty, uh, popular, mostly just seven inch records. Cause it was a way that you could get, put something on the merch table for cheap. But, um, then, um, you know, 
file sharing and all that came around and it was i remember the labels starting to panic all the little indie labels like uh this thing's not out yet and it leaked you know some press person leaked it and it was a full-on panic in the indie industry uh in the i would say like around really around 2003 is when it started to come to a head and people were like freaking out but you know they adjusted we figure everybody tries to figure out how to make it work it's just yeah it's part of it and you know i mean vinyl has bounced back in some ways and helps you know you do get some revenue from royalties from uh, online plays you know uh streaming plays but placements in movies tv shows and video games which when i started the band were considered selling out are now one of the ways that bands keep it you know keep it going it's just you know each member doesn't get that much but it's part of the you know it's part of the thing that you know just put all these little pieces together to to get your artist's income and there it's you know it's it's nice to be able to just feel like you don't have to feel bad about um trying to make it you know and for me like i would have hated to have turned down like a video game placement because i've been playing games since i was like three years old so it's you want you know there are things that you're excited to partner with um there's there's you know movies and tv shows that have used our stuff or have an actor in it that i love and it's and it's a fun little thing and like my mom loves it you know it's like she loves it when like we had a song on shrinking recently my mom's like harrison ford you know she was so excited about harrison ford uh you know ha- like having a show that we had a little song in and you know i don't know that stuff it's worth something absolutely mm-hmm. and um i think it's really interesting how you know your your band was able to evolve with the changing times with music when you know initially remember back in the year 2000 a lot of uncertainty existed back then with with music and where the future would lie um a lot of record labels were kind of freaking out because there was just a lot of piracy going on and Metallica mm. wasn't happy <laughs> no <laughs> they're the, they're the, they're the ones that like really like set that Napster thing on fire. They went so, hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm um, I'm curious Adam, how did Murder by Death get its name and and how were your roots originally uh built? So we we named ourselves after a really silly movie from the 70s. It was like a comedy murder mystery spoof by Neil Simon. And so it was a movie that I remember seeing as a kid. Uh, the, uh, the the better movie of the same style was Clue. The Clue board game movie was actually amazing, but it wasn't a great band name. And so that was almost like a side reference. But I've always been a lover of uh, murder mysteries and... I think the reason we chose the name was that the music we were making was so dark and it had, you know, high drama and very, like very sad stuff. And I think it was our way of trying to um, show that there was a sense of humor in there too, that we wanted to add a little levity and lighten the, the mood. What we didn't know is that having the words murder and death in your band name would basically I mean, we've got like booted off 
festivals and shows by like legal teams from because the name is like too violent even though it's a joke name and somehow neil simon got away with it but um (laughs) it's it's we've lost a lot of opportunities and a lot of people definitely thought um you know we're like a grindcore band or like metal and it's like well it's i i see where that comes from but i guess i just thought it would have been a little uh more obvious that it was tongue-in-cheek but hey you know I think we actually got a lot of metalheads into us thanks to the name. We have a surprising amount of people who like listen to heavy music that also like us. Absolutely. Now, were you a Grateful Dead fan? Nope. You know, I tried. I just could never get into them. Okay. It's one of those. Okay. I'm more of like. I couldn't either. I couldn't yeah. either. I like more rock and roll stuff. The jammy stuff. I just kind of fall asleep. Uh, it's, uh, um, like I was definitely more into, you know, from that era stuff like Thin Lizzy and like, uh, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. Um, one of my favorite bands that was hugely influential to me was the cure. Um, the Pogues are a Irish punk band that does like blends traditional music, uh, with, uh, traditional Irish music with like big intensity of punk and like they were a huge influence on me lyrically um, I definitely a lot it's funny I think I listen to a lot of British music now that I think about it as my formative stuff Portishead Massive Attack that stuff was all really big to me um, and then as I got became like a teenager I got really into the indie scene and I was just like Every show that I had heard of any band, I was like at four shows a week for years, just constantly immersing myself and then eventually started you know, playing and putting on shows, too. So it was very much like a little tiny scene where, you know, if there were 100 people at a show, it was a big it was a big show. You know, it was a small community, uh, but uh, I really loved it. It was really great for me at that age. Yeah, it's, that's really awesome. And you have a favorite band for for you. That inspired your musical roots favorite band i think it's probably the cure if i'm honest like that's the band that like my stepmom took me to see them when i was like 12 and she used she was a lot younger than my dad and she would always like i was her little concert buddy and she would take me like from like sixth grade to like ninth grade i think i saw like i mean it was insane i saw like iggy pop the cure nine inch nails David Bowie, like I saw so much Lou Reed, uh, so much good stuff that she was into that I was just like having my little, you know, preteen teen brain blown open. She's I mean, she took me to see I saw the Jesus lizard, which is like crazy aggro, like punk. And I was I was in like sixth, seventh grade and I remember seeing it be because I was like, I don't think I get this yet, but this is wild. <laughs> like, and that, I think that was a good feeling, you know, just to have a feeling like I don't really, you know, when you're a kid, you're just gathering information. And uh, I was really lucky because she was like showing me all these crazy movies, like, you know, David Lynch films when I was like nine, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I, and I was just like, yeah, well, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up. Uh, there was the, the Elephant Man was definitely the first one I saw. And 
I just grew up. My dad was a art dealer. He would like auction off, uh, like for a, he worked for a gallery and he would do auctions where he would, you know, sell the pieces. Um, and I would travel with him occasionally, but there was a lot of art in my life as a kid. And so I got to just consume all this stuff at such a young age, um, going to museums all the time. I mean, like my dad's, the gallery he worked at was like my latchkey. Once I was, uh, you know, I just get dropped off at the gallery and I just walk around looking at art for hours while I waited for him to get off work. And it was very formative for me to have that stuff around. Uh, it made me want to have a part in the world of art, you know, one way or the other. That's, that's really awesome. And, um, I'm, I'm curious in terms of the challenges that you had to overcome as a band, what, what were some things that you had to overcome as challenges that allowed for you to get to where you are today as murder by death? I think you're, like I said, you're constantly reinventing yourself and, I mean, every time you put on an album, people just might not like it and or they might not buy it. And one's as bad as the other. And sometimes it's both. You know, we've been pretty lucky that there's been no just like universally hated album of ours. I've seen so many bands that have had to go through some really like rough ups and downs and generalizations made about them. And, you know, uh, we've been. I think because we've always been a sort of like cult band and a um, like counterculture, like outside of the the mainstream, outside of even the main indie uh, circuit, we haven't had like a we we never had like a big moment in the sun with press, and I think that is a challenge that we've overcome because we've had to like figure out how to do everything on our own. But I think in some ways it's a blessing because then you just create your own community. You create your own um, uh, little world. And our fans are just super interesting, wonderful people. And they, I have, you know, they'll just like the like little gifts they'll give us and stuff are interesting stuff. Like uh, somebody giving me like a copy of the like weird old, like witch art film hacks in or like, Somebody made last week uh, a towel uh, with an illustrated picture of my dog, Robocop. And it's like a towel for the dog. <laughs> and like just like nice people who are interesting. And um, I think they just, we've been lucky because we've cultivated an audience that we uh, like. You know, <laughs> we like, I'm, when I meet people, they're usually nice, normal people. And as long as they treat me like a regular person, uh, I'm very happy, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, uh, I feel really lucky. There are bands out there that like, don't like their fans or their fans are just really aggro or whatever. And, you know, we've been lucky to overcome that, but, or I mean, to, to not have to overcome that. And I would say the thing that we had to overcome for the longest period of time is just being broke all the time. Cause we're artists, <laughs> you know, just, know, <laughs> you know, it's like, We've had anywhere between four and six people in the band at any time. It's just, you know, you want everybody to get enough. And that's always a challenge. Um, at some points in our career, we were playing, you know, over 200 shows a year. And we were on the road for all, about 300 days of the year, um, which is just brutal. I mean, that we did that for years and it was really hard. And you do that. um 
you do that at a time when unfortunately you're not you're barely scraping by with each show and you're doing it because you have to do this volume um we don't have to do that anymore and i'm super grateful so i, I mean i don't think i could i don't think i could do 150 shows a year anymore I, it's just it would be hard to motivate myself every night because I want to put on a good show every night. I don't want to do the same gig over and over. I, I want the show to feel organic and uh, natural and fun. I don't, I don't want to phone it in. I'm curious, you, uh, around the time that Murder by Death started out as a band, I know that there have been a lot of industry-wide changes, and um, I'm curious... Were there any moments where the band felt discouraged or felt that, you know, there were going to be times when you're you're not going to be able to make it as a band, especially oh, yeah. with all of the changes that were happening around the time of uh, Napster back in 2000? Were there ever times when you felt discouraged or y'all didn't feel like you were going to succeed? I mean, basically, when we were having our like moment where like there was attention from bigger labels and everything, it was also the moment when the labels were freaking out. Like, so around 2005, we signed um, like our like was really our first real record deal because the other one had been like a handshake. And um, this was the first time where we were like courted by labels and we're trying to figure out who we're going to work with and like. You know, everybody's telling us, oh, you're going to be huge or this or that, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. And, you know, some of them, I think, believed it. And, you know, some of them, you know, maybe kind of believed it. But like, ultimately, um, while that was happening, um, the bands that were like a couple years older than us had like gotten one or two uh, record deals in where like the label actually had like a good uh, advance for the bands. So your advance is like both your recording budget and, you know, what, whatever you can split for the time it takes to write and record and, and, you know, wait for an album to come out. And so, you know, with like the, with the uh, time that it came for us to like finally get a deal, it was sort of like, Oh yeah, these deals are not the deals that they used to give a couple of years before because everybody's freaking out about file sharing and, so, yeah, I mean, like, it was a kind of a moment where it felt like we finally arrived at this, like, oh, people want to work with us, but in this really safe, uh, careful way. And so, you know, we we put out the record uh, in Boca Lupo in 2006, and it did fine. Like, for us, things got better, but it was not like the explosion that I think we were hoping for. And uh, so we just, you know, what can you do? Um, you move on and you figure out, you readjust, you figure out a way to make it work. Um, and you just keep making more music and hoping that, enough, you know, pe people show up every night and they pick up the record. It's, it's just, you got to figure out why you want to, if you're a musician, like you got to figure out what it is that you're doing it for. Because, um, most people, even talented people, you know, don't get the, uh, you don't get to be the bell of the ball, you know, it's, you just, you should just try to play music because you need to, or you love to, you know, like it's, if it's a part of you, you'll, you'll keep doing it. 
um, one way or the other. And I try to tell like people who I know who used to want to like be in a touring band or whatever. It's like, play music, just have fun with it. Just like make music with, with find some people who want to do the same thing as you. It will be satisfying. Like, don't just think about what it might be like, like just go out and make something. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a rock star. Like it's not, I don't, I think most people don't actually want that. I think they just want to be creative. Yeah. They want to make some cool, you know, things they want to, like you said, be creative, use their, you know, re, you know, talents and everything. To... All my best feelings come from that. Like when I'm in a room with my bandmates and we, pull something out of thin air and we're like, that's cool. And like the way you did that, and it lines up with what they're doing. And then I'm coming and do it. You know, it's like, those yeah. are the moments that are. That's, that's, that's magic me. right there. Yeah. It's like, even like when you're playing a show and like everybody is like so into it and the crowd's really good. It's like, it's great. And I, I love like a wild engaged audience, but it's like, it can only happen so many ways live really. Like it's kind of the same but coming up with something new and being creative, like that's never getting old. I mean, cause you made something totally new that didn't exist before. That's what's, I don't know. I think that's the most satisfying part of this job that every person in any creative field can uh, resonate with. And I'm, I'm curious when, when do you feel that murder by death got its first big break as a band? I would say we we've never had like that moment where it's just like Phew! but the thing that I'm probably the most grateful for that happened for us was in 2001 we were playing our seventh show and we were playing in an anarchist bookstore in Bloomington Indiana and uh, there was a band that like a friend of a friend knew that was from New Jersey and their show had been canceled in Indianapolis. And they were like, Hey, can they jump on your show? And I said, sure. You know what? We're local. We'll just give them whatever we were going to get paid, you know, which is going to be like 50 bucks or something. And the band was uh, Thursday who a year later was like the biggest, like, like I, they were a huge emo band and uh, they became like, the next big thing and they're in that cover the, signals over the air i think was one of their songs yeah yeah totally and they yeah. they were like on the cover of like rolling stone and spin and like i mean it was wild i mean they were really positioned as this massive act um and they never reached their full potential but they to us com coming from this punk scene punk and indie world they got bigger than anybody I ever saw get big at that time. And um, they basically, the singer Jeff, especially, he convinced us to like take the band seriously and try to make something happen. And then later put out our first two albums uh, uh, on a label that he was partnered with and like eyeball records, they were called out in New Jersey. And it was really the confidence that he gave us and then actually following through and then like opening some shows for them and playing the biggest show shows we had ever played to date. Um, you know, opening for them, it was just having people say like, you're doing something special. You got to keep doing this. 
So, I mean, I think that like the, for the inspiration, um, you know, and, and for the vote of confidence, it's, it, it didn't propel us to stardom or anything, but it made us, uh, I mean, hell, we dropped out of college. <laughs> I mean, after a couple of years, we dropped out of college and just hit the road for like a really long time for years. So it meant something to us, obviously. It was like a vote of confidence that they, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we needed, yeah. Because otherwise, I think we could have just been another, like, college town band that, like, was, like, cool. We're the most popular band in our tiny town. Like, great. <laughs> like, you know, it might have been, we'd probably have just, like, opened a couple cool shows and then done. But instead, we got to hit the road. Um play some incredible venues, try, you know, travel the world. And it changed, you know, it changed all of our lives for sure. No, absolutely. And um, it's, it's really great when you have someone who gives you that vote of confidence that gives you that push to really pursue something and to really believe in yourself enough to take the yeah. plunge. So it's really awesome that y'all were able to find that source. Yeah, and it was so organic, you know. He just he saw the set, he thought it was cool. He kept in touch, and it, you know, it's just it's really natural. And now I know that in 2018, um, there was a really awesome collaboration between Murder by Death and Destiny Two. And I'm I'm curious, how did the Destiny Two Forsaken collaboration take shape with your theme song from 2012 uh, yeah. from the album getting featured in the trailer for uh, Destiny's uh, expansion. This is actually a pretty awesome story. Uh, I think it's really crazy to me how this all worked out. Um, so the crazy thing about the song Go to the Light is that I originally wrote it for a different video game as a creative experiment, we were working with our publisher. Our publisher's job is to shop songs to movies, TV, etc. And we'd had some really cool hits. Um, we had a song used as the trailer for Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino movie. Um, songs on like Sons of Anarchy. Um, at the time, I'm trying to think what else was happening at that time. Just like cool stuff was happening and they were doing a good job of getting our music out there. And, um, so there was the game, what was it? Red dead redemption two, two, I guess it would have been. Yes, so, I wrote Red that, dead. so I wrote that song just with that game in mind being like, Oh, they're coming out with a, another red dead redemption redemption game. We're like the perfect band for this. So I sent them, an early version of, of just like me playing the song. And they're like, this is cool. Can you like slow it down and like slow it down? They're like, okay, can you do this? And like, and they ended up not using the recordings. It didn't, it didn't work out. They, they ended up going with something else. Um, I actually think they went with my friend, William Elliott Whitmore, who we've toured together with a lot. Cause he had a song in that game, but uh, which good for him. But uh, so that was, maybe like 2010 or 11 when I, when I tried to do that, I liked the song, but I had never tried to do a full band version. So when it came time to record bitter drink, bitter moon, 
we reworked the song as a full band and we just took the guitar out completely and it's way more airy and ethereal and spooky and that's like sort of the the version of the song that really exists everything else is just sort of a demo or an alternate where it's just me with a i'm playing like a piano and a, a guitar and stuff um so anyway put it on the record it was just kind of like one of the song, later songs in the album very atmospheric and mood oriented you get a call while we're recording our album the other shore they're, and they're like hey destiny two wants to use go to the light um do you have the stems for it stems are like basically like extremely detailed recording files for people who don't know um and so we didn't so we're like fuck we really want this placement i was like i played that game and they're like i was like what if what if we take one of our days in the studio we're here in the studio the band lives all over the country so getting together isn't that easy you know booking a studio getting the gear together i said what if we re-record it because they wanted um basically just like a different uh a slightly different arrangement um so that they could fit it with the the ad they were working on and so i was like what if we just re-record it i've got everybody here so we did it we started re-recording it and they flew out two of the people from the ad agency who who had found the song through some sort of like i think they just found the lyrics first and were like these lyrics sound perfect for this and then they found the song and they're like this is perfect and so they flew these people out with a briefcase with a computer in it. And we had to sign NDAs because they didn't want the reveal of the commercial. We, 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 we didn't want to spoil what was going to happen in the game. And we're like, we're not going to tell anyone, guys. They're like, got to sign the NDAs. So we, you know, we sign them. And they show us a primitive version of the ad so that we can kind of just like play the recording as we're finishing it up with it because they didn't want to send us a file but they won't even show us which character is like having a big moment in the in the ad they've put blocks over the character so there's no possible way we can spoil this apparently people have been flying like drones at the building trying to capture footage of this game because it was going to be such a big hit and so they're just like, we're just, we have to be so careful. Um, you know, they just, they wanted it to be cool for the, they want to be cool for all the fans, you know, and they're just really protecting the IP. And um, anyway, so we re-record the whole thing so that we can get it just like, I think it was just a little bit slower and we did like some bigger crescendos and we just really wanted to hit for the, for the spot. And then we are just sent, like, they flew back to LA and uh, they were so nice and everybody we worked with was really great. And um, they were pleased that I had played the game and um, it was just fun. I mean, it was honestly for me, it was, we all had a blast. But I just awesome loved it. it started as a different video game and then we kept changing the song over and over again. And then finally it find it found its home in a video game. It fits so well though. It does. It, it's so mood setting. Like you said, you know, because of the, the brooding nature of, you know, the act and everything. So, And that's what's funny is like, this is what I'm talking about being flexible is like, 
if you heard the original version of this song, actually you can listen to it. It's on um on our we have a Bandcamp page and we have like a little like um collection of like all our like B-sides and demos oh, and nice. stuff. It's called Skeletons in the Closet and there's oh. Totally different version of this song on there. And it's um it's interesting to see for me as a writer, like I love seeing the evolution. I love showing the work a little bit. You know, I think it's cool that um it didn't start as an album track even, um, but then it became one as we refined it. Because you sometimes you don't know when something is finished. You just gotta keep you know, working at it until you're like, I can't do any more. This is the best I can do now. The song fits so perfectly into the theme and to capture the emotion of our favorite character in the game just getting killed. Yeah. And that's how and that's how the set piece began with Forsaken. And I think that your music and that song really set the tone so perfectly and it, it really set the stage for everything that we played from then. And I would say for me, Forsaken was probably one of my favorite expansions in, in the game. And I, I think that a, a lot of it came from being so emotionally invested in this character that you really love and, and were so, um, like in, involved in and someone just killing him off. And I think that was such a perfect um, set piece with, with and, your, your song. It wasn't that like at E3, they showed that trailer at E3, didn't they? So mm -hmm. Bun Bungie like spoiled it like already like two months earlier before Forsaken came out. <laughs> yeah, they spoiled it before. The, yeah, they wanted to yeah. do it in the trailer, but I think that they just really wanted that hype, you know? And, yeah. you know, that's it gets people excited it gets you engaged like it's i don't know it's it's part of uh you know it's a the video game is a destiny is a it's a space western it's a space opera you know there's there's mm -hmm. gotta be big moments like that you know that's that's what the whole genre that they're um working from uh is playing with is these big moments of loss you know and you know freaking han solo and the carbonite you know it's just like very uh there's there's got to be intense moments to keep it interesting and we just mm -hmm. we're just a little window dressing for that but it's it's all part of the big picture i would love to score a video game that's what i really want to do is like somebody's like here's the game or a movie for that matter which I, you know we've had songs placed in movies but I think that's where I would love to go as far as like career dreams is like somebody give me like a great per, you know, a good fit for the style that we do. And then we craft something specifically um, for scenes. You know, this was fun because we were able to refine the song to meet the, uh, the feel of the, uh, of the tone of the, uh, of the ad, but like, I would love to actually just like score a game someday. That'd be pretty cool. That that would be pretty pretty awesome. And I know that we we briefly talked about this before the show, but I'm I'm curious as a gamer, what were your favorite games that you've played throughout your journey? And are do you have a favorite game for 
you personally? So when we were talking earlier, I made a list. I just like started typing out um, just some of my favorite games that I um, was have been thinking about. Um, partially because I just read this great book that I recommend uh, all you gamers. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. It's about um, these two game designers who meet as kids and uh, they proceed to work together and do these incredible video games throughout their adult life. And it's such an exceptional book. And it brought me back and reminded me of some games that I had forgotten about. Um, So I'm actually playing um, the 2015 remake of King's Quest by Sierra Games right now because I loved Sierra Games when I was like a kid. They made these games like if you haven't played them, I'm, I'm dating myself here. They had these games like Secret of Monkey Island and um, oh, yeah. Leisure Suit Larry and uh, <laughs> it was like a porn game, basically. Uh, he was like a porn guy. I don't, I don't really yeah. remember that well, but my friend had that. And the King's Quest games, I remember like playing these on PC, uh, mostly at friends' houses. I don't, I think the only one I ever had was Monkey Island, but uh. They were just like silly, fun, like click and discover games. And um, this this uh, book references a lot of games over the creation um, uh, of the story that, you know, you keeps like referencing like similar games to the fictional ones that are in, in the world they've made. But I've, I, I've just been thinking about that lately. So as we were talking earlier, I made a list of uh, some of my favorite games. Uh, I'm going way back to Commodore 64 to the first game that blew my mind. My friend, uh, my friend had this game called below the root, which was like basically the, probably the first role-playing game I ever saw. There might be something before it, but I mean, like you're like traveling around inside like trees in a forest and like talking to witches and stuff. I mean, it's awesome. Awesome. Old school game. Um, the first game that I remember, like Nintendo NES stuff, I loved like Ghosts and Goblins, anything spooky. Shadowgate was a, a really oh my awesome god, Shadowgate was so totally. cool. The music in that game was just so good, like just super demonic, satanic oh my game. God, yeah. Um, Maniac Mansion was one that blew my mind, which is just so weird. Like you can put a hamster in the microwave and blow it up in that game. And then they had, once people figured that out, they actually edited it out in future pressings of the game. Like crazy stuff like that. Um, then for like Super Nintendo, like of course, like the Zelda Super Nintendo is amazing. Um, Shadowrun was like a RPG uh, cyberpunk game that I was obsessed with when that was out. And I've been playing recently. They've remade or re-released some new ones of that that you can get um, on like Xbox and stuff. Um, and then more more recently, I, I loved like Fallout Three was probably my favorite of that series. I like the apocalyptic stuff. I love the Mass Effect games. Uh, I played the Dark Souls, Elden Ring. State of Decay was a cool game where it's just like super resource-based zombie survival. Um, and my wife and I play Stardew Valley. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I, I love I love video games. Like I try, I play when I can. I work a lot, so it's definitely like a way that I try to wind down when I have a minute. No, absolutely. And you've mentioned some uh, really classics. I remember playing Zelda back back in the day on the original Super Nintendo, and it's so amazing how video games have evolved today from back when we were just growing up and the early days and how in San Diego. Remember that one? <laughs> I played I played that one. I mean, in yeah. fact I learned how to type on computer because in my in elementary school what they did was they pretty much had Commodore sixty four computers where you would yeah, actually Apple. learn how to we type had Apple yeah. two E's. Yeah had a car in San Diego on it. <laughs> That's such a time. school game. Yeah, <laughs> like I remember there's those games that would be like, this game's okay for school because it'll teach kids how to use computers, you know? There was yeah. like the games that were like green lit. <laughs> and Adam, are you playing any games today that you're enjoying as a as a gamer? Uh, the Elden Ring was the last like massive game I played. Uh, and I think I played one of the Far Cry games recently. Um, uh and then uh that king's quest reboot has been really fun because it's just so silly and chill uh i'm into that i want to play the haunted chocolatier which is the new concerned ape stardew valley kind of game because my wife doesn't love like uh she doesn't want to play like any kind of open world or shooter she wants to play like uh, like she would say her favorite game is Tetrisphere, uh, which was like a like N64 Tetris game. She likes like puzzle stuff. Um, but I think I, I think we both enjoy just like chilling out with the, like that Stardew kind of relaxed vibe where it's like, OK, you play a day, then I'll play a day. And it's just a nice way to, to hang out with somebody. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you got any recommendations for me? Um, I mean, Destiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Obviously. I can't go wrong with that. Um, I would say the Zelda series is really, really good. And I've been going back to, to Zelda uh, before the new one's coming out uh, May 12th, right around Shadow's birthday. Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be really exciting and fun. They did a remake of Shadowgate, too, as well. Yeah. Like, I'm really young. I bought the, the Switch version. I haven't opened it yet. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play it. But I don't know if it's as good as the original because the original one just had like this really cool just, you know, theme and everything. You know, it's like you're going into this haunted place and there's like death around every corner. <laughs> the other one that I never played, but I remember going, I was talking about this with a friend recently. I remember going to a friend's house and their big brother had a game. It's like mid nineties called Phantasmagoria. And I remember being like, oh, I heard about that. craziest shit I've ever seen. And I have been wanting to play that. And he recently was like, Oh, you can just get it on steam for your computer. So I don't know if my computer can even run a 95 game. We'll see. But uh, it's, I, I got to get that one. Cause I remember being like, like a little uh shocked because it was like there was like a corpse with maggots and like it was just kind of uh 
felt, it felt really like grown up. And I think, it, you know, this, I was maybe like 13 or something when it came out. So I remember thinking like, Oh, this is like kind of edgy. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was, there was a, there was a period then they were trying to like do like adult games in the mid nineties. Kind I of think Splatterhouse. Remember Splatterhouse? That was like totally, another one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another game yeah. called Hell that was like, oh, it's for like one of those one-off systems, like 3DO or something. Like it was oh, just, yeah. it was like some super weird, like cyberpunk devil game. I don't know. Been a minute. <laughs> Are you a Metroid fan? Oh, sure. Yes. And meant Super Metroid. Oh my god, yeah. That was a tight one, game. That was maybe one of the best games for the Super Nintendo. One of the best games on Super Nintendo, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that yeah. was that was popular too. Like I remember that game, like everybody lost it for that. I I got that on like release week. Yeah. So, and and you can imagine how much they were back then. I would think that game was almost 70 something dollars. <laughs> I forgot how, how, yeah, there was always like, like, weren't the Final Fantasy games really expensive too? Yeah, like, yeah, they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so wait, so the Metroid games were more expensive than other other titles? Yeah, because it, had, it was a bigger, it was a bigger cartridge. It had like 24 megabits at the time. It was, you know, normally a game was 16 megabits, but this one was 24. And then Final Fantasy uh, 3 which is six in Japan was like 32 or something like that. And then yeah, they had Donkey Kong Country, country and then they had Killer Instinct, you know, Whoa. the rare games. Yeah. Killer so Instinct. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. This is bringing me back. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no great times. And actually Metroid just recently had a new title that was released for the Switch that um, it was a remake. Uh, Metroid prime no it's metroid. it's a remaster yeah it's metroid prime remastered for the metroid prime okay yeah so yeah. it was metroid prime and then last year they came out with metroid dread they're, they're yeah, that was a new game. yeah that was a new game yeah so lots of lots of really fun stuff that uh nintendo's reviving back from from its glorious past and so great to relive those moments and um yeah definitely some great times now I gotta go download Destiny Two. If I now that yeah. I'm all jazzed up about it, I I did I'm play the it. first one and I liked it, so I just, just gotta get around to it. It's time. Yeah, I I I think Destiny is definitely one of those experiences where I think it's the most interactive game and the most collaborative game that you can play with friends and um it's it's such a fun time and you get to explore and and shoot space aliens and and there's like all these ma- major planets that Bungie has been introducing over the past uh years so it's always really good time very highly recommended definitely got to get you into some yeah destiny sometime i, mean, I dug sure. it I, d- I dug it the first time around uh so it's uh i'm, I'm definitely uh I don't know, i'm getting stoked absolutely and Adam, what do you enjoy doing when you're not making music or playing video games or going on tour? A big hobby is rock climbing. Uh, I've been doing Ooh. it for about 14 years. And like I, right before this interview, I was at the gym. Um, I love, I just love it. It's uh, I started in my late twenties and I wish I had found it, you know, like 
as early as possible because it's just such a it's just such a fun creative way to exercise basically i hate exercising i don't want to like run or use an elliptical uh it's just not for me but climbing is just there's especially i do bouldering so you're climbing without a rope about a 20 foot climb with padded floors and it's a puzzle and it's just a really uh it's a physical and mental puzzle um and you just really have to think about your body and uh, gravity. And in a lot of ways, it's like video games, honestly. I think it appeals to the same part of my brain, but it's just the exercise version, I guess. But that, that's that's my like big passion, that and uh, reading. Uh, but that's probably what I like to do more than... You know, music has been my job for so long that I have to have areas that I that I do just for me and uh, climbing is probably my number one uh, and eating. <laughs> eating is my <laughs> other one. I love, you know, we love to go when we're on tour, we go to a lot of restaurants and we try places that we've been excited about. And, um, but that's, that's a big part of uh, my, uh, my life. I don't go to see that much live music. That's not somebody that's a friend, but last night I got, gifted tickets last minute i got to see yo-yo ma play cello with the louisville symphony orchestra which i've never seen him perform and he's like literally the world's greatest living musician and to just get free tickets to that show was incredible it was amazing so that was a pretty good night last night (laughs) and i get to go see my friend laura jane grace play tomorrow so i'm 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 going out to more shows now that I'm home a bit more. Very cool. And what's what's your favorite food when you're when you're out? Do you have any favorite dishes? On tour, we eat a lot of Thai food because Ooh. everybody in the band really likes it, and it's a way that you can get vegetables on tour. And you're basically just like running yourself ragged all the time. So you like, and it, and like a lot of like faster food is just like meat sandwich so we will get thai food for dinner a lot because it's just a little healthier and the options are a little better and some of us are uh, we some of my bandmates are vegetarians but my uh my big passion is um my mom's from italy and i just grew up eating like only italian food so i that's what i love to cook um sarah my wife who's the cellist in murder by death um we own a Italian restaurant in Louisville with her little brother. Um, and so that's uh, a big part of our, our life as well. Um, it's called pizza lupo. And um, it's, we, uh, we do like sourdough wood fired pizza. And um, but anyway, that's, that's one of my favorite things to eat for sure. Like just really good pizza. I, go around with pizza. I have like, a map, a Google map of just pizzas of the world, basically. <laughs> like we're always, you know, like, oh, I heard this place is really good. Let's go there next time we're in Jersey City. The next time we're in, you know, LA, we'll go here. And so we're always kind of like checking places off. Uh, I'm a New Yorker, so I have a very weak spot for pizza. So I I love pizza. And I What's your I favorite New York pizza place? 
Um, so there is a place in Brooklyn where I'm from. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I think it's called DiMaggio's mm-hmm. uh, Pizzeria. And it is one of the best places if you like pepperoni pizza. Always, sure. Very highly recommended. It's a classic. I don't think I've been to that one. Looking that up. But uh, we're always like, I mean, I've been to probably like 40 places in New York. It's called like Lombardo's or something. That's That's a Lombardo's. Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one I went to. That's really, really good. Yeah. The one that I loved was uh, Defara in uh, like way out in Brooklyn. Um, But the the guy, Defara, passed away recently. And I haven't been since he passed away, so I'm not sure. He was training somebody last time I was there. But he was just doing this really, really good square pizza. Um, but anyway, I'm- I had that. I had it. I had pizza from there, and I, I didn't even realize that he he had passed. That's uh, that's so sad. He had been running that shop, that same shop, for like fifty three years, like working the oven all day. I mean, just one of those. That's that's one of the things I love about food is that like that guy's just a freaking worker like that guy showed up and ran an oven for 53 years that's incredible like the devotion to the craft it's not some corporate thing you know it's just some guy with a recipe in his brain (laughs) yeah and it's it's amazing like how much goes into making pizza like from the water to the dough you wouldn't even realize that these little things actually matter so much but it really does and that's one of the things that i miss being in florida now not having that new york style pizza that was just so so special and and there was something about it yeah i mean they they made it a thing you know they 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 made it a thing in new york there's a lot of good pizza all over though i really am seeing more and more like quality stuff popping up we're seeing we're seeing it more commonly, like, like people are figuring out how to make like a good crust finally, I think. And that's, that's to me, it's like pizza is just a good crust. Everything else is just like dressing, you know, but that's anyway, I'll, I could talk pizza all day. <laughs> so Adam, I'm, I'm curious, last year you released a new album, Spellbound, and um, I'm curious, what was the inspiration behind that album? And what's the process like to create your latest album as a band? You know, we live all over the country and we get together and um, we do these rehearsals um, in different cities, depending on our schedule. We get together and I try to present songs to everybody. And we do a thing that we call the dream hammer, uh, which is basically it's for efficiency. and I will sit down and I will say, okay, um, we've got a week to do some writing. Day one, I'm going to play you guys just like me and a guitar, like five songs, six songs. And you, my bandmates, the other other five people will basically give me a yay, nay, or like, man, take it back to the workshop. I think there's something there, but it's not there yet. And 
it's tough because, um, you know, sometimes you love a song and you think you are on to something. And it, but if your five bandmates uh, are like, it's fine, then it's probably not that good. And you just got to either do a massive revision or move the fuck on and write a different song. And um, that has been a huge, I think, helper for our process because you don't waste all this time on something that's just not hitting, you know? And so you just, you kind of lose the chaff a little faster. And then I just basically go, (laughs) okay, uh, well, you didn't like three out of the six I presented. So then what happens is you work on the three when you're with the band and then you panic, write as many songs as you can in your free time to try to be like, we need more songs now. And, you know, God, I hope they like them. And then you, you just keep doing it until you feel like you've got a good album, but it's, I think it's good to have uh, quality control like that because, um, you know, you're, you're trying to reach people. And if you can't reach the people who are going to be performing the songs every night, then you're in big trouble. You know, that's, that's well said. And do you just let the inspiration come or how do you, how do you approach the creative aspect of writing songs for your album? Does it come organically or do you have some kind of a planning phase? I do really. So I actively turn my writing brain off whenever, like I, like, for example, that album came out end of July of last year and I have not turned my writing brain on yet. It's almost like um, some people will talk about it like, you know, the muse or something and like opening yourself up to the muse. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but I guess that's kind of what you do. I turn it off when I have other stuff to work on, which is either like touring for the album or um, filling, you know, big mail order things. Or maybe I just want to take a break and not think about music and not be creative for a while and just enjoy other aspects of my life. Then I'll pick a month basically where I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn my brain back on my creative brain back on. And then during the first few months, what I do is I just allow silence in my life. Uh, And I just don't like have the radio on and I don't have other distractions. And naturally things will just start coming up melodies, lyrics, entire songs can sometimes kind of just like pretty quickly appear. And then I just write them down and then I put them all aside. I put them like, you know, put in an email or whatever, like put in a folder. And then when it's time for me to start preparing, like if we say, okay, we're meeting up in May to practice or to write these songs together as the band, I'll spend the whole month before like with a guitar or a piano trying to take what's in my brain and make it into a real presentable thing. And then it takes a whole other formation. Once the band shows up, I mean, you might change the song from four, four to a waltz, or you might um, cut out 80% of the song and then go a different direction. Um, We, anything can happen if you're willing to uh, change what you have in mind, presumably for the better. And so, yeah, I mean, it really goes from like just the tiniest 
grain of salt, grain of, you know, inspiration into like, okay, now I can like sing a melody out loud. Okay. Now I can sing it with some structure and another instrument. Now my band is, is putting parts over it and dramatically changing it. And then of course you get in the studio and you actually hear a recording of it. And usually what happens then is you're like, everybody play less, you know, that's kind of the, the funny thing that always happens is that everybody's always overplaying. So we, we started doing this thing where we're like, if your part bores me or if it doesn't excite me when it comes in, do something else or we're just muting it. And like, it sucks. It happens to every one of us in the band, but like we all kind of agree when it comes down to it. If you really want to get down to that fine detail, just be like, I want to be excited when this cello comes in. Like, I want to be excited when the keyboard tinkles in over this layer. Like, I just want, I, I call it like ear ticklers. And uh, so we, there's so many, I think that's the thing that people don't realize about writing is for music is that before you hear the song, I have made at least a thousand changes, you know, to the possible version of that song. Like it's a lot of decisions. It's not just like, making up a song you know it's like you're you're not just kind of like sharing your soul it's actually like writing a book you know it's it's just it's 90 percent editing um but yeah i mean that's the process it's that's how i do it at least and you know it's fun I, I love talking about process with with friends and with other people because it's i think some sometimes it surprises people how how it works and then other people um they're like i do it exactly the same way but, it's different. For I I like to play guitar, Mary. Um, so, wh what would you say? What's your favorite guitar you're playing right now? What do you like to? I'm not a gear guy. Um, I, I my favorite guitar is the one that doesn't break strings and always works. This for for real. But I do have a uh, Takamine acoustic that has been oh. the most reliable nice. instrument. And I'll say, like, just as a workhorse guitar, that sounds good. And has worked for <laughs> I've had it for 15 years. That is a very good product. I like, you know, just as a consumer, I'm just like, hats off. Thank you for making something that works. I play a lot of fenders, yeah. I like telecasters. I've had some guitars recently that were made for me by Luthiers who just like, I built you a guitar, which is a perk of being a, an old dog veteran musician, I guess. <laughs> and those have been cool. Um uh uh, Matt McGibney, McGibney guitars made the most recent one that I've been enjoying. Um, he's also uh, like a stage tech roadie guy that works with us sometimes. He made a really cool, um, kind of like a Jagstang riff, uh, mm. like the Kurt Cobain vibe. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Like, uh, but it's it's really got a warm sound um, that works really well for like kind of. Um, like laid back chill songs with an electric guitar. Yeah, the Telecaster definitely has a nice tone to it for sure. Bing, really. Yeah, it's got that bring yeah. twang, you know. Yeah. I like it because it's punchy and um because I have a low singing voice and we have a cello in the band and of course a bass too. It it gets above on, you know, it's like if your bass is down here, you also want treble up here. You don't want everything fighting in the middle because it'll just sound like mud. Right, right, right. I have a, a Epiphone Silverburst. I, I'm okay. kind of an Adam Jones uh, freak. I'm look that up. <laughs> yeah, I have an Epiphone Silverburst. Um, it's uh, 
It's a wonderful guitar. It's uh, Adam Jones has this Gibson Silver Burst, but I can't afford a Gibson because okay. <laughs> I like, like, yeah yeah that's yeah, I, I know this style yeah that's my uh, my Les Paul Epiphone Silver Burst guitar. I love that guitar. It just it just sounds so nice and it, it fits my style. I, I play like kind of heavy riffs, like kind of like Tool and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, it's just kind of but. Yeah, it just it definitely suits my style, I would say. Sustain, that's, why I have the, that's why I have the diesel amp, too. Yes, <laughs> that is a heavy amp. Yeah. Let's go. Cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, Sarah's, Sarah, our cellist, is the ripper in our band. Like, she's the one who does, like, we call, the way we try to arrange it is that she's the lead guitar. So um, <laughs> she's basically doing, like, shredding. If there is shredding to be done, she's doing it. That's um, so cool. <laughs> it's fun because um you know I like I like it because then I can kind of sit back a little and do like I'm padding and I'm mostly focusing on my vocal performance and the guitar is there as necessary and every once in a while I get to do like a solo for the right song or something but um it's uh we we don't just assume that the guitar is going to do that kind of work we in fact invert it and have it be the cello and now we have a, a violinist we have a our friend emma joined the band and uh nice. she's been playing violin the last couple of years and so we have these really cool arrangements uh that are you know possible now with having a string section basically super awesome i found it really fascinating that it takes a thousand iterations of a song to really get to that final shape. It's just such tiny little changes, you know, it's, it's the smallest stuff, but it does matter. Like, I think it does matter. I mean, sure. It's the same way. If like, if you're, you know, like there's a scene in the book I was talking about earlier, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, where they're talking about doing graphic rendering for a storm and how like that is like the most important part of this game. It's just like how the storm looks and this, they're just constantly revising it and trying to make it create the feeling that they want the player to have. And that's one of the reasons I responded to this book so much is that I was like a little ashamed. It's like, man, I've been playing video games my whole life. And I don't think I ever realized like how artistic, I just don't think I ever fully gave credit to the designers in my mind um, and realize like how much they are, they're doing the exact same thing I'm doing. It's like, it's the same creative work. And I realize that all their little refinements that they're doing are, have the same goal, which is to create emotion and excitement and energy out of coding. You know I mean? Like I'm, I'm using musical notes on a scale and they're coding. And it's like, when I realized that it, it was just a bit of, of a aha moment, but also a like deep shame moment because I was like, fuck, I'm going to think about this when I'm playing games now, like really try to notice the little things, not just be like, I love this game or I love how it plays or I love, you know, like really think about like the tiny choices that people made that really uh, made it what it is. And cause that's, 
it's the care that they put in that make these games that we that we love and games that you know we're t- we talked about games that are 30 35 years old and that we're still thinking about you know like people were people were doing creative work to make that happen yeah no it's it's really fascinating and adam i know that you've traveled to so many places throughout your amazing career with murder by death and i'm curious what were some of your play, favorite places to visit? And do you have any stories that stick out to you from your experience traveling the world and making music and playing live? Yeah, I think, you know, there's great shows can happen anywhere. Uh, but I, I find that, like, I love getting to the far-flung places. Um, we once did a tour of Alaska where we were there for, like, a week and played five shows. And... Like we played in Denali National Park on the summer solstice. And so he's light out all night. Very memorable. Uh, the mosquitoes were insane. On that same tour, it ended. We played McCarthy, Alaska, which is an old mining town with a population of 20 that now does glacier ice climbing tourism. So we had to like jump on the back of a military truck and put all the gear on the back and go across this river to get loaded in and we were late because our Winnebago had broken down and we like pulled into town and there's like 150 people waiting to watch the show that were playing this tiny bar. It was basically a concept show and there's like dogs in the street, like, and people cheering, like barking, barking dogs and people cheering as we pulled in and like, that was really fun and wild. And we went ice climbing and like, um, we did a tour of the Virgin Islands once uh, in the Caribbean, uh, which, which is just incredible. Um, like I got to swim with like sea turtles, you know, like just crazy experiences that I never would have had if I hadn't gone down this path. Um, something about playing islands I really like. We've played like Mallorca in Spain and uh, Sardinia in Italy. Um, uh you know, playing places that you only have imagination. Like we played Belfast, Ireland in 2005, you know, like not long after, you know, growing up and that sounding like a scary place. Um, uh, mm-hmm. You know, like there's just so many, uh, you know, I remember my bandmates trying to go into this bar and they, wouldn't let them in because they had tattoos because they're, it was just like an anti-violence thing. They didn't want people to recognize opposing tattoos from, you know, different belief systems and then get in a fight. And so, um, you know, just like interested, we toured Greece a couple times. That was really incredible. Just eating, you know, the most unbelievably fresh, octopus right out of the sea and the food is always at the heart of it touring in italy and having like someone's grandma cook a 10 course meal of home style (laughs) cooking for you and then having to play a show oh man (laughs) like it's so hard to play those shows but nobody slows down at that table because grandma you know is a freaking angel and just a lot of good memories you know a lot of there's so many stories but uh and so many terrible stories like my my dad was the other day uh 
trying to talk about his worst hotel experience. And I was like, dad, don't even start. <laughs> like, don't even start about bad hotels. I've lived in hotels my whole adult life in crappy hotels. It's like, he was like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like the carpet was like, this. So I was like, have you ever slept in a room where the AC is broken and it's 110 degrees out and there is a blood stain with a body outline on the floor? Have you ever <laughs> stayed in a room where there's bullet holes in the wall? Oh my God. Have you ever walked into your hotel room and there's 50 cats in the room? <laughs> like, this is not, this is not what, like, when you're in a band, you stay at the shittiest places until you can have a little bit more of a budget for that. Like, I mean, literally like the craziest stuff has happened over this career. Yeah, it's, that's cats is one of my favorites though. Yeah. That's awesome. Hotel for cats. Yeah. We got and, a different room. <laughs> <laughs> was, they were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know about the cats? <laughs> good times and adam what is next for you with murder by death and the future of your band and everything that you're doing in the upcoming year we got a tour that starts in um, about a month uh it's like mostly west coast and then we're doing more like midwest and east coast u.s in august and september on Monday, we're releasing a, like a covers song EP where each of the band members picked a song that they wanted to cover. And uh, we recorded it and we put that out. It's called As We Wish um, because we did That's a cover cool. series where fans could pick the songs. We did a bunch of those called As You Wish. Uh, and so we're like, we're doing one where we pick the songs as we wish. That's uh, cool. I was going to ask you which songs, if you were to cover a song... Which songs would you cover? Oh, we've covered many. Um, yeah, you can get those like murderbodyeth.com or Bandcamp, but it comes out Monday. It'll be streaming and stuff too. I picked a song by Bjork because I thought it would surprise people. Oh, um, nice. And uh, I, she's uh, one of my favorite recording artists. Um, there's uh, a lot of the songs are from like when we were teenagers, basically songs that I think hit us as teenagers. Um, so it's it's a lot of like '90s stuff, uh, but uh, I think that's just what we were, you know. Uh, we wanted to re do something that sounded crazy. Like Emma, our violinist, picked that they might be giant song. Um, Sarah, actually, didn't pick a '90s song. She picked a song, "The Highwaymen," uh, which is like. Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, like, and Willie Nelson all do in a super group. And so we had all the guys in the band each took a verse, which is really fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good. That's we're so we're basically just touring and putting that out. Very cool. Well, we're so grateful for you joining us tonight. And Thanks, uh, we cannot wait to hear more of your music on, on Monday when you release your covers. And um, yeah, it's it's such an awesome experience to learn about you and your journey. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, it's been great. I'm going to go download Destiny too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Destiny. Now, I'm curious, what, what platform do you play games on? 
have an Xbox One right now. Um, okay. So yeah, that's very I cool. Just, what I got. <laughs> Still dreaming about that Switch one day though. Gotta play those Zelda games. I yeah. gotta get it. Gotta get it, and it's the perfect way to play on the go. So I, I think that there's definitely some hidden gems there on, on the Switch that uh, are definitely worth checking out uh, for sure. And Adam, to before we wrap things up, uh, I'm curious, where can the Guardians learn more about you and your music and everything that Murder by Death does in the world? The old internet, uh, you know, just like murderbydeath.com is the easiest way to get to all the spots. But, you know, it's, we're everywhere. Spotify, Instagram, uh, you know, all the, you know, various platforms. Uh, we're easy to look up. But, uh yeah, check it out. Uh, I, I want to say thanks to all the folks uh, from the Destiny community that have been listening to the Go to the Light because, I mean, it really gave it a big bump. It was an obscure track from that record, and people are listening to it all the time. So it's uh, it's just cool. It's nice to be uh, checked out by the Destiny fans. So thank you. Yeah, and, and thank you for your contributions to our favorite game and, and for all the music that you create to inspire the masses and to make people feel better. And it's, it's something that we definitely need in the world more of. And uh, we're grateful for you for your time. And we cannot wait to hear what is next 